This is the Bob McCown Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. It's the end of the week. That means one thing. We don't work tomorrow. No, other than that, it's the fact that it's usually a roundtable, and we'll do exactly that. Richard Deitch is uh, kind enough to pop in today for Bob, who's feeling under the weather. Richard, uh, how's your day been? It's been well, and uh, John, both of us are or longtime veterans of the round table. And I must admit that um, during my time at uh, Sportsnet, those were my favorite shows. I, I, oh. I always appreciated primetime sports's um, long time sort of round table and the people who were on those shows and they were always lively, great discussion. So, uh, so I, I'm, I'm always thrilled to be invited to one of these round tables. It, it's what it, 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 it is fascinating in a when 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 the show was on and commuters were in their cars it it became a a rite of passage is i i got to be in my car by five o'clock and bob's going to tell everybody to screw off and 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 by the way he'll do a poll of deitch and brunt and shannon and you're all wrong you know <laughs> so so the punctuation mark at the end of the sentence was always mccowan's that it was certainly always worth listening to we'll uh we'll do our own attempt at a uh, round table today with uh, bruce arthur from the toronto star and scott stinson along with richard and i we'll be back after this hi this is bob mccowan for betrivers.com hey if you're looking for a sports book or casino app you should check out the bet rivers sports and casino app today play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options and get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex. Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCowan podcast. And as I mentioned in the opening, it's Friday and I'm a traditional guy. And so that means a traditional roundtable on this edition of the show. Uh, Richard Deitch, obviously, is with us. Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star and uh, preeminent writer in Toronto, Scott Stinson, is with us, boys. Uh, thanks for your time, and hopefully we can have a little bit of fun over the next uh, 50 minutes. Let, let's start with uh, let's start with the most current thing, with the NBA draft last night. Uh, the, uh, the Raptors go out and, well, first of all, no surprise who went first, but uh, <laughs> the Raptors went out and, and got... Uh, Grady Dick, who uh, who described his jacket last night as wearing uh, a pair of Dorothy's shoes from the Wizard of Oz. Um, what what do we make of that, Scott? That uh, this guy's going to be the three point shooter that the Raptors finally needed. You know, John, I 
I think like everybody, you saw the jacket and you were like, wow, that this guy is not shy. He's a comfortable young man. And then when he when he said it was the Dorothy Slipper thing, and of course, he's from Kansas. I, I was like, all right, I get that. That's actually pretty cool. Like, good for him to to throw a little hometown love in there. So so that was fun. Look, I, I think the surprising thing for me with with last night's draft was how the Raptors just in the end didn't really do anything um, other than stay with their pick pick the best guy available as it turns out he's he suits a need they have which is shooting um but there's been so much talk of course in the lead up to this of would they make a move is is a pascal siakam or an og ananobi on the market um were they eyeing one of of course they were never gonna get the number one overall pick but were they eyeing two or three or something like that and in the end they end up just adding a guy to the rotation who they hope will be a good player and as i said suits position to need but it it sort of seems like a step toward the raptors bringing back much of the same team that they had last year and um i'm not sure when it ended that that's necessarily where we expected this would all go yeah i I guess my question my question to both richard and bruce is uh, do you concur is this uh is this a case of more of the same as the right thing, Richard, for for this basketball team? Well, first, let me say it's good to be with uh, Scott and Bruce. And I know how tight Bruce is with Masai. So I know Bruce was on the phone with him uh, and Bobby <laughs> right before the pick, concurring. Um, listen, they need shooting help. So in that sense, like I, the, the pick itself, I think, is a, is a good pick. And if you read all the, the experts who really study this stuff on a day-to-day basis um, – Grady Dick was probably the best shooter in the draft, or maybe second. Um, he fell maybe a touch to them, so I think in that sense, maybe maybe they got a little bit lucky. They weren't sure he would be on the board. Um, I think for the value of when you're picking at 13, I think it's a pretty decent pick. I mean, none of us know. It's just like you know making the decision, Scotty Barnes versus Jalen Suggs. We could have said anything we said, but ultimately it has to play out. Um, it's more interesting to, to sort of like – to Scott's point, is like, what does it mean heading forward for Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Pertl? And I think unless something dramatically changes, I think the reality of the Raptors is that um, they're not really changing dramatically. I, I think they're hoping that last year was a bit of an aberration. New coach comes in and maybe changes up stuff. But like fundamentally, and I'll, I'll kick it over to Bruce, like – the team is really fundamentally very much the same as as last year. And I think, and quite frankly, Messiah and Bobby Webster may not be wrong. Like, they may think if things sort of were just a little bit different, maybe they are a 47-win team as opposed to a 41-win team. And, you know, and then you sort of roll the dice and hope you maybe get a little bit hot in the Eastern Conference. But um, they're, they're, they're in a very weird place right now because they're clearly not blowing it up. But at the same time, they're clearly not good enough to win an NBA title. It's it's a kind of a weird time for them. How do you see it, Bruce? I think change is going to come. I just don't I don't think it happened last night. One thing that was interesting last night, you notice right before the draft, Chris Haynes, who's one of several insiders who cover the NBA, reported that Pascal Siakam is, is giving out signals to teams that he only wants to re-sign with the Raptors. Huh, okay. And he did it right before the draft. Huh, that's interesting. After there had been rumors that the Raptors might be looking at trading Siakam, for example, for the number three pick to Portland. That's Mm. interesting. And Chris Haynes is really close to Dame Lillard. That's interesting, too. Um, 
I think, and I've said this for a long time, I think Pascal is the guy who's going to go because it's the thing that makes sense. This team doesn't make sense as it stands right now. Like there are good players and you can say that removing Nick Nurse and and changing the coach is going to allow a lot of younger players to fill better roles and maybe with positivity. Nick was really paranoid and kind of unhappy at the end. Maybe that's going to help a lot of things. But there's still a fun, there's fundamental problems with how the team is built. You got three guys, Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Scotty Barnes for two positions, essentially, and two of them can't shoot threes. And that's a problem because Scotty Barnes is going to be the center of this team coming up, and he can't really shoot threes. Jakob Pertl is almost certainly going to be re-signed by these guys. He can't shoot. So you can't really, like, Pascal is what they want Scotty to become, except they think Scotty can be better because he's bigger, stronger, has a better natural sense of the game in terms of seeing the floor a little bit. So I think Pascal is going to be the guy to go. And then it just didn't happen last night. So Grady Dick is a, is a light, nice piece because you've got a real shooter. Like, I don't think this guy's Clay Thompson. Our friend Michael Grange kind of said, eh, there's a little bit of clay in him. I went back actually last night and compared Grady Dick's first year and Clay Thompson's first year, and they're actually pretty comparable. Um, but Clay, I think, is a more natural shooter, obviously, and is, is a better athlete, a little longer, not as big. This kid is going to be a great shooter in the NBA, and they need that. Mm. <clears throat> what do you move Pascal for? Is the question that they're kind of asking themselves, I think, right now. So let, let me, let me, sorry, Bruce. Let me just follow up with you. So, like, I think the it seemed to me, and again, it's really, it's not like I've interviewed anybody. So this is just all sort of reading the tea leaves from the reports out there. It seems where the disconnect is is from how the Raptors value Pascal Siakam to what other teams may ultimately give up for him right because i i i as much as i love siakam i i i agree with you philosophically that something has to change but you also can't give this guy away um for not enough assets coming back so is there you think i don't know can they get fair value for him i guess is what i would ask it's a really good question it depends what you want to do like i've kind of written this a little bit before is the raptors have to decide what they want to be do they want to try to trade Siakam for a comparable star who fits better right now? Or do they want to go young and change the whole timeline of this team yeah. to be more of a Scotty Barnes timeline, right? A 21-year-old timeline. OG's 24, Yak's 20, what is he, 26, 27. You can fit in there. But all of a sudden, Siakam and Fred VanVleet don't fit quite as well, right? Or do you trade him for one of the guys? There's, there's a number of names that are floating around the league right now as to guys you might be able to go get. So like Zach Levine in Chicago. Right. DeJunte Murray in Atlanta, Carl um, Anthony Towns in Minnesota. I wouldn't go near that contract with a hundred foot pole even before he started talking about how he changed the game. Good God. <laughs> Come on, man. Um, <clears throat> there's guys like that, like Anthony Simons, you could probably go get out of Portland. Um, but there, w- what you're looking at is flawed, good players and how you have to decide whether they would fit what you were going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Or do you go for younger and a, a, a package of younger kind of players and picks? But then you got to figure out which teams are in a position to move those but aren't rebuilding now, right? Like if Houston doesn't sign James Harden, they don't need Pascal Siakam particularly. Um, so it, it's a really interesting question. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I, again, I think Siakam is just a logical choice for who you move. And once you move him, <clears throat> let's say they did it for Zach Levine. Take, take mm-hmm. a name, almost Fram. And you re-sign Fred and you re-sign Yak. It's an expensive team, but you go Fred and Zach Levine, OG and Scotty Barnes and Jakob Pertl. That at least makes sense conceptually. 
right? You got three shooters, you got some finishers, you got some athleticism, you have some length, your backcourt is both small and not a great defender as the other guy. But I mean, it, it makes a little more sense, but the Raptors are going to change. The, the one question I have is, do you think there was any belief internally, guys? Richard, to you first, um, that just changing the coach was enough? Is there any any thought to that process? Well, I, I tend to agree with Bruce. And I think, you know, I think Bruce and Scott are certainly close to the Raptors than I am. But I, you can't stay in the middle or the lower middle or the upper middle, which is where they are now. It's it's ultimately just a, it's a disastrous path. There, there's no path to a championship and there's no path to bottoming out where, you know, you hopefully roll the lottery dice and you get like a guy like San Antonio guy yesterday. Um, I do think if you watch them, I think there were guys who tuned out Nick. I, I just think, you know, th- this happens with Pat. It happened with Pat Riley. It happens, generally speaking, with Phil Jackson. It happens with all great coaches. At a certain point, the message just doesn't work anymore. Um, and I think with Nick, I think by the end, it just it didn't work. He also to me and i don't blame him nick nurse is paid to coach is paid to win games and he ran his a lot of his best players really into the ground in minutes but i didn't think he had a choice he didn't he didn't trust half his roster so i think john the i do think the i think the culture will be much better with a new coach but let i agree with bruce it doesn't it doesn't fix the fundamental structural issues with the team yeah. Hey, Scott. Scott, do you think, uh, Scott, I, I, I just see I, I, what Bruce and, were, and, and Richard were saying is that change is inevitable. That, then it surprised me that Gary Trent Jr. resigned or, or opted in rather to sign a new contract. To, uh, to me, that didn't make any sense. Did, it, did that surprise you? Yeah, it was surprising. Look, I'd go back to the trade deadline last year where we were all talking about, okay, what's the move going to be? You know, there were, there were rumors that teams were offering three first round picks for OG and Obi and it was they all were. like which they, they <laughs> yeah, were right it was just the, it was the wrong three first three round picks. picks that was the problem <laughs> sure and, but, and what and what year, what years too right all would yeah, have been this, they all would have been this year that's wow. what would have really killed them so so the thing mm-hmm. is like you you sort of go well i think we all thought if if nurse was on his way out that there was going to be a, a sort of a fundamental shift and in the end as of here we are coming up on the end of june it's it's still kind of status quo look there's still time obviously masai said at the end of of the trade deadline that he didn't think uh anything they could have done then was something that couldn't also get done before the next season started. And so we're at that point now and it kind of feels like more is to come. But if, if we know anything about the way Masai and, and Bobby operate is he's not going to make a deal. I don't think from a, what he feels is a position of weakness and he's going to continue to have his assets and say, you know, not until somebody meets the price that he thinks they're worth, uh, is he going to make a move? And, and to that point, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, the horizon just gets pushed farther down the road to, okay, perhaps the big trade doesn't come until sometime into the coming season. I guess it depends what he got offered, I guess. Well, it's, it's, to, to me, it's one of those things where, and by the way, it's really kind of strange in the last two or three years, how, uh, everything that Maple Leaf sports and entertainment touched for a while turned to gold. The basketball <laughs> team was good. The soccer team was good. The Maple Leafs were on the rise. 
this is the summer and sp- spring and summer of chaos at at, at MLSE. Uh, and 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 one of those things is what the ownership might look like. Um, you know, stories this week that Larry Tannenbaum is looking to sell some, if not all, of his shares uh, in MLSE, which is twenty five percent. The 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 asking price appears to be around a prorated eight billion dollars, if you can believe that. What, what do you what do you make of this, Bruce? I early on, what I was told is that Larry was selling like ten percent. It looks like it's less than that. Um, uh, but the thing is, half of that is four hundred million dollars. Now, Larry is 78 years old. He's in great health. He loves this. The, 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 Larry is not like the world's greatest sports owner, but he's the only thing in MLSE that's that acts like a sports owner, right? <laughs> Who's on the executive committee in the NHL. He's the chairman of the board in the NBA. He's a guy who can talk to people, who has relationships with people. That isn't how Bell and Rogers work. And if anything, what we saw when Masai was looking to re-sign his contract, when Ed Rogers tried to block it, and that got ugly, right? Like that that very nearly blew up the whole relationship. Um, the guy who went and mended bridges with Masai was Larry Tannenbaum above all. Also Dale Lastman and a little bit uh, Mirko B- uh, Bibich from, uh, from Bell. But Larry is the guy who's like the heart of this organization. And there has been success here as much as there has been failure. Remember how bad this used to be? Do you remember how well, bad the sports remember, town some was? Some of us work. Some of us. Some of us work there. <laughs> like before, th- this is all. This is all the echo of Tim Lawicki, right? Like yeah. Tim comes in and actually has vision and actually does stuff and hires Brennan Shanahan and hires Masai Ujiri, and that's still happening, right? This is the echo of that all these years later. Um, and I don't know how much longer it's going to go. Larry's going to be out. My guess. I don't know exactly when, but there's a sunset clause in that deal. End of next where, year. Yeah, I think it's the end of next year is what I've been told, is that by the mm-hmm. end of next year, Larry's out because that was okay. part of the deal. Once that happens, Bell and Rogers can pull all his, his shares in. And I have, I'm of the belief that Ed Rogers would like to take this whole thing and put it, meld it with the Jays and make it one big sports organization. Um, and that would involve buying up Bell. It'd be a huge amount of money at an $8 billion valuation or more, all of this. Um, and that'll be a lousy day in Toronto, man, for sports. It'll be lousy. <laughs> he will he will be a terrible owner, is my prediction. Just a bad, cheap, a bad priors owner who doesn't have a clue, right? He's going to be the guy who's going to fall asleep in your board meeting. Um, and I, I just don't think that, the, I think that you can see that coming for MLSE and for Toronto. And what happened with Larry was kind of the first puff of smoke, as it were, for the papal conclave. It's interesting. The 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 the, the one thing I'd add to that is, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but the valuations on the Toronto sports teams are really like sky high. I mean, you're you know, you're you're dealing with like the New York, Los Angeles kind of Chicago real estate. Um and to Bruce's point, Man, you put all those, I mean, you know, I'm someone, uh, as all you guys know, like used to live in New York City. And when there's a bad owner like uh, Jim Dolan, like it gets bad for sports fans. So I hope Bruce's scenario does not happen because that much power facilitated in a singular person, you know, unless that person is one of those sports owners who, um, you know, who really like stays out of the way and just sort of loves the idea of being the sports owner. Yeah, Scott, Scott Richards never heard of Harold Ballard. Yeah, no, I, yeah. 
<laughs> I did watch the documentary and I was like, what the hell was that? Some of us lived it, Richard. Yeah, no, I know. It is, I, I, I think too much, I actually just as a fundamental thing, I like multiple owners in a market. And so I'm with Bruce. That would worry me. I don't think you want so much consolidation of kind of sports power, like rooted in one place. That's as a sports fan, that's not a place I'd want to be. <laughs> it, 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 it's funny because you don't. It, it, this all speaks to a, a, a few things: corporate interests in sports teams. You know, if you look at the NFL, they don't really allow this. They want individual yeah. owners. And and want- is there is there a correlation, Scott, that you know, the most successful sports league in North America is individuals <laughs> yeah, it, and not corporate and they're doing better? It is interesting. You know, as you know, the NFL, like they want the the one guy or or woman who is able to sit in the boardroom and make decisions on behalf of the team they don't want a corporate structure the funny thing is we've seen with mlse even quite recently the the problems of having uh their ownership structure where larry tannenbaum owns 25 percent, and then bell and rogers split the remaining 75 equally it, it does lead to these issues as bruce alluded to uh, a problem getting a Masai Ujiri contract extension done. There was there was a lot of um, smoke around the Mike Babcock contract and the fact that he was getting paid so much when he was coaching the Leafs and the fact that they had to pay him so much long after he was coaching the Leafs. Um, the suggestion being that, you know, Bell and Rogers, who are, of course, big competitors, didn't always see eye to eye on the big decisions. And I think even this this offseason, we've seen, you know, whatever happened with the Leafs and Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe, if there was one person in charge, you think that maybe this might have happened a little smoother than the situation they're in now where – it seems like the only guy from the Maple Leafs, you know, power structure who is leaving is is Dubis, and everybody else seems to remain. So you can make an argument that there's that there's some value in having somebody in charge who can make decisions without going to a corporate board structure where the votes are split equally and and you can kind of have gridlock in your decision making. But of course, you you want to have the right owner in charge of that. And I mean, I think. Anybody who's a Jays fan will look at the last couple of decades and and feel like the the losses outnumber the wins in terms of good decisions being made, uh, you know, aggressive spending, those kind of things that you want to see from an owner. It's not that the Jays don't spend money; they obviously do right now. But I I just I just don't think anybody would think that the stewardship of the Jays under Edward Rogers has been, you know, aggressive and, and focused on winning and those kind of things. It's more like trying to win within a budget and within certain constraints and not really acting like the big market team that they are. So if you kind of end up extending that out to all the Toronto sports franchises, would they have gone after a Mike Babcock? Would they have extended Masai Ujiri? I'm not sure that they would have. So there's value in having one person in charge, but it's got to be the right person. And I don't know how many people would feel super confident that person is Ed Rogers. And and I would, but I would never believe who can do it. Right. Like Ed is the only person who has the money behind him in Toronto to do this. Like the reason that Larry's selling not to an individual, but to a pension plan, 
the reason that a pension plan owned this thing before like mm-hmm. we don't have the same level of billionaires to a to the as as great a degree as the united states does <laughs> but remember yeah. what was the best what was the best era of the jays in the last 20 years was the Alex Anthopoulos 14, 15, 16, 15, 16, really, right? Yeah. yeah. Alex and Paul Beeston made those acquisitions at the trade deadline without talking to Rogers. They had money in their budget. They made the deal. They never called. Like that's how they got good. It was almost like a rebel insurgency within the corporation. <laughs> like that doesn't tell you great things about ownership. I will but say, you know, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Joe, really quick. I, I don't, I'm not really trying to push back on Scott, but I would say, and again, I'm just saying this as a as a um, someone who grew up in New York, and I understand that like you know we're not dealing with the Yankees, and certainly like the the Mets essentially are just a hedge fund right now. But <laughs> I mean to to give Mark Shapiro and you know as much as it's going to pain me to give Edward Rogers some credit, like you know they like they did go out and sign Kevin Gossman, right? Like they like they they did um, put at the time like big money down for Ryu, like they're they're. They're not, you know, they're not the Dodgers. Like, I understand that. And they're not the Yankees. But they're also, like, you know, eons away from, like, the Royals or the White Sox. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like. Mm-hmm. They sort of try maybe, to win. Maybe they're not a, maybe. It, it, is there a word that's, like, a touch below, like, a major market? Like, because that's what they are. <laughs> no, but they're, but they're, but they're, they're, but they're, they're not a mini market. But they're not a major, you know? but they're, but they are a major market. This is the I largest. Re, this is the largest regional market from television perspective. Thirty-five. I think actually, I just read that Canada's gone to forty million people. Forty. Uh, you know, so we are we are a giant regional market for the Toronto Blue Jays. Same thing for the Raptors, by the way. I, yeah, um, that's a, that's a the real positive. I, I actually, I, in defense of of Shapiro and Atkins, is I, I look at the infrastructure and money that they they've pushed on the on the, the club. Yeah. For, for for the for the stadium, yeah, they there ha- there are some positives coming out of this administration. Whether that's on, but are, are we kind of measuring Whether, with? We're not measuring with the highest bar here, right? They're investing in the stadium, of course. There, it's a giant corporation behind this, and the stadium was outdated. And you do eventually make more money if you put some money into the stadium. Great job. They've spent some money, of course. They have. How many teams in Major League Baseball are trying to win? Ten. Right. Like, so the Jays are one of them. So congratulations, guys. And you're yeah. doing that because you had draft assets who are good enough to build around as much as Vladdy's had a really bad luck season. They had enough talent that they could try to win. Right. They're, they yeah. they they tried to do stuff. It's not terrible, but it's just not great. Right. There's there's no there's not an animating vision that is like an inspiring sports owner behind all this. Yeah, but this goes back to the original. The original conversation really was about Larry Tannenbaum eventually getting out. I think within eighteen months, Larry Tannenbaum is out of MLSE. And the question then becomes: Is do, are Bell and Rogers just going to go 50-50 and, and well, I guess with Omer's buying a small percentage, but are they just going to go and do it in order to protect their media assets? And does that make the most sense? If if you sell, you're really in trouble. We all know where we all know where the media business is going. Yeah. It is it is centered on one thing and one thing only, and that is events. Events, events, events. And if 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 you opt out of owning the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, now they've kind of opted out because of the Apple deal on soccer. Um, you're, you're opting out of 
you know, the, arguably the best ratings, certainly in hockey and, and at times in basketball for, for a long period of time. And it doesn't make much sense to opt out. It really well, doesn't. It doesn't accept how much do they care about the media business is a question, right? Um, how <laughs> no, much they money, care about the like, media business. <clears throat> Uh, making money they care about making exactly. money and they care about him and they care about image they ca- both of those companies bell and rogers care about image yeah you know that well i mean their customer service sometimes sometimes countermands that idea <laughs> um, and, that, and that and that's that's bipartisan right like do you remember there was an old rick mercer sketch on bell and rogers and it's still one of the most accurate assessments of the telecommunications industry in this country we've ever seen but like to me it doesn't make a ton of sense to get out Especially it doesn't make sense to get out before the NBA deal in 2025. The next TV deal is going to up the franchise valuation. Like nobody talks about the fact that the Raptors are the crown jewel of MLSE, right? The Raptors are worth something like $3 billion and the Leafs are two. And the Raptors have a much bigger upside than the, than the Leafs do. Like it's a, it's a much bigger part of the organization. Um, But like the the franchise, if you bet the franchise valuations are going to keep going up, this is a great investment for Bell and Rogers. Plus it's a cash flow item. Plus it's good for them in that way. So let's say that they wind up 50, 50 and the globe reported that if, even if the pension plan buys in Bell and Rogers can eventually buy those shares. Okay. Let's say they wind up 50, 50 and the telecoms are in charge. Who are they going to hire to be in charge of the sports operation in a Tim Lewicki sense. Because who did they follow Lewicki with? Michael Frisdahl, who was a penny-pinching placeholder, an absolute sure. nothing as a CEO, right? No vision. He was the guy who made made it so you have less room to sit on Air Canada Rouge, who did business with South Africa during apartheid. Great job, guys. And now yeah. they don't have a current CEO. They have an interim CEO, but the money keeps rolling in. They, they could do that and but, not be that but good. That's the problem. The money keeps rolling in. It's the yeah, eternal one. problem of Toronto sports. That's why Harold Ballard lasted as long as he did, because the money kept rolling in. The one, right? the one, yeah, the, the one thing that this is where I, I'm Bruce on is the valuations of all these are only going up. Obviously, media rights deals are impacted, but the market, you just look at there are teams in the United States that have sold that are really lousy teams, but the valuation ultimately is sky high. So I think if you're Bell and Rogers, if you're just looking at it as a pure business case, you'd be crazy to sell because of what the valuation will be 10, 15, 20 years from now. Where I agree with Bruce on is that position of who runs this is massive because if you do want to attract best in class in terms of general managers, presidents and stuff, like that position becomes massive. That's where Larry Tannenbaum, I think, probably doesn't get enough credit for it. Like sports in many ways is the relationship business. And you do, if you're the guys who actually like run the the women and men who actually run this stuff, they have to have somebody on the executive side who they trust, right. Who Mm -hmm. has faith in them. And that's where I worry about, like if you're Masai or uh, maybe Brennan Shanahan's not the best example or Shapiro, like if you don't like trust that person in that like Tannenbaum seat, why on earth would you stay with these franchises. And I hope that, you know, it could be a cascading thing. You don't want to start getting lousy presidents and lousy GMs because then your teams are going to be lousy. We've seen that movie, right? Like we absolutely have. And Larry is that guy. And so let's say Masai leaves because he's been, he's been pursued by Washington, by New York, LA's made a call, like all of that. Let's say he leaves in the next two or three years. Let's say Shanahan, they lose in the first round next year and Shanahan's out, right? So you need to hire somebody to be in charge of these very difficult franchises to run. So who's going to make that call? Who's making the call to figure out who you might want to hire? Who's yeah, recruiting, we can phone who's the, recruiting we can, those people? We, we, 
We can phone the HR department at Rogers and the HR department at Bell, and then they'll phone Corn Ferry as a search committee, and and you know that's that that's how it'll work. Yeah. But, but, right. but it will but be Scott, a search committee, which is the worst. But, but Scott, yeah, I let, before we go to break, what one quick question sure. for you: If the teams win, does it matter who owns them? Uh, no, I mean, look, if if the teams are successful, um, I don't think anybody cares. Uh, it, there was a point not that long ago where you would have said, you know, MLSE, this weird corporate structure, there's no visible face, Larry Tannenbaum's behind the scenes. You'd rather have like a Mark Cuban type who's out there doing stuff. But meanwhile, the MLS teams were all pretty successful. TFC won a championship. The Raptors won an NBA title. The Leafs went to a bunch of playoffs, although they couldn't get past the first round. You know, they were clearly a team that was moving in the right direction. Uh, the Argos won a couple of great cups, you know, throw them in there. So, so ultimately there was this weird time in Toronto sports for people who've been around a while where it was like, my God, all these teams are actually good. And it was kind of unsettling. And, and it also was under the same ownership structure. So yeah. some version of this could be successful. Um, and, and weirdly for Toronto, we've, we've seen it in, in the fairly recent past. Well, the, to answer Bruce's question, who's the guy? The, the guy is Tim Laiwicki. The problem is he's gone off and made too much yeah, money elsewhere. And he doesn't <laughs> – Toronto needs him. He doesn't need Toronto anymore. We'll, uh, we'll talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame and uh, another maybe disappointing or disturbing moment uh, yesterday at the NHL Board of Governors when it came to warm-up sweaters. Uh, this is the Friday edition, the roundtable of the Bob McCallum podcast back after this. Spring is here and so are the long days, warm weather and yard work. If you're anything like me, then you know how easy it is to get behind on your spring to-do list. But Factor is here to help. The number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door, saving you time to get the things you need to do done. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. We offer delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles, like keto to calorie-smart, vegan, or veggie. With over 34 chef-prepared, dietitian approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Head to factormeals.com slash bobcast50 and use code bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. That's code bobcast50 at factormeals.com slash bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. Richard Deitch, Bruce Arthur, Scott Stinson, John Shannon on the roundtable, McCowan on the IR one more week. So yesterday out of the... NHL Board of Governors came the edict that uh, from now on there will be no specialized warm-up jerseys. I call them sweaters because I'm Canadian um, <laughs> and I'm old. Um, so that means no more military uh, promotion, no more hockey fights cancer, no more LGBTQ um, sweaters, which created part of this controversy. Um, Bruce, what do you what do you make of this decision, and and is it the right one? No, 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 no. So like, there's more sweaters than we even know, right? Like Winnipeg does a South right. Asian Heritage Night, right? Like Fantastic. this year, the this year the Jerseys did a Gender Equity Night, the New Jersey Devils. Um, there's a ton of these. 
Hockey is a small town. And I say that with no disrespect to small towns, but there is a small mindedness to this league, which astonishes me, even as it's the only thing I prepare for. In context, here's what the NHL just did. They had a problem because they've been doing Pride Nights for 10 years. Mm-hmm. First one was in 2013 in Florida. They never had a problem. Never had a problem in 10 years. And in the last year, a few players didn't want to wear the sweater. So Provorov in Philly kind of kicks it off. because And Philly mangles that, right? They totally messed that up. And then it, it repeats itself in a few other cities with a few guys. Some teams ditch the sweater altogether. And there is negative publicity. Of course there is, right? Because the bigger context is right now there is an absolute war on trans people and the LGBTQ plus community as a whole. And it's organized and it's political and it's ugly and it's popping up in all these places. It's the same gay satanic panic we saw in the 80s, updated for a new generation. And in that context, during Pride Month, The NHL looked at this problem of a few guys not wearing the sweaters when they kept saying, look at the vast majority who were, and they were. And they said, what could we do? Well, we can't just ban pride sweaters. What if we banned all the sweaters? So all those gorgeous indigenous appreciation and celebration and heritage jerseys that happen across Canada, all the hockey fights cancer ones, the military ones, all the ones that, and the thing with, the the reason that matters is, You can have those jerseys, you can design those jerseys, you can sell those jerseys. When you put the jerseys on the players, you're saying you are welcome at the highest levels of this league. The stars are wearing these, right? And the NHL gonged it all in a cowardly, I'm afraid of appearing on Fox News garbage decision. It is so small-minded. And in the context of what's happening to that community right now, again, it looks like a small thing. Look at how big it's celebrated this that tells you everything about what just happened richard yeah i read bruce's column um it's well thought out and and well done um let me just take this sort of from a um you know sort of what my i I put in quotes expertise because truly there is no expertise for me that said you know obviously i write about media and i've written a lot about media for a long time particularly, obviously, United States media. The one thing I can tell you is that when you are reactive to others, it usually works out poorly for you. When you start reacting to what others are doing, you ultimately lose your leverage. When you're proactive, you still may get some criticism, but you're you're ultimately um, choosing your own sort of path. You're ultimately the decision maker in terms of which way you want to go, what do you stand for, what are the ideals or not of our league. To me, the NHL could have basically just continued on with these jerseys. They would have been criticized by the people you would expect them to be criticized from. Bruce is correct. There is an absolute organized effort Um to go after that community, particularly in the United States. And he's correct. I mean, listen, I grew up in the U.S. I think I'm the only one who grew up in the U.S. on this call right now. I saw it when I was a little kid, attacking gay people, basically. It's sort of, many ways, a very similar playbook. Had Gary Bettman, quite frankly, not done anything, he would have taken 24, 48 hours of a shitty news cycle, and the band moves on. And nothing would have changed in the league, and the jerseys continue, and if some players didn't want to wear it, 
whatever. You choose not to wear it tonight. Okay, that's fine. Everybody else will. What's just frustrating to me, and I just, again, I take it from a macro media perspective, is that it feels like the league caved in to what ultimately is a very, very small but loud chorus. And I don't think that's leadership. To me, leadership would have been like, are we allowed to curse on this podcast, John? Like I would sure, be like, yeah, go ahead. I would be like, fuck, <laughs> fuck you. This is our league. We're going to do this. And if you have a problem with it, scream about it all you want on your channels. But this is what we are doing. And I just think, I don't know, I think Batman just basically made a quick move to get out of the news cycle right now. But but there's a larger issue at hand. And I just as someone who's covered this stuff for a long time. It would have been a story for 24, 48 hours, and that's it. And then everything moves on. I, I think the larger message, and this is where I thought Bruce's calm was dead on, I think the larger message here is terrible because it sort of tells it tells people that the NHL is really just sort of about commerce, not really about people or anything else. Because they had made progress, Scott. They really had yeah. made progress. Mm-hmm. For sure. And look, when when the controversies of this season popped up with Provorov and again with the Stahl brothers and, and James Reimer and a couple others, um, one of the things you could say in the league's defense was that they were caught a little off guard here. And that, as Bruce said, they, they've been doing Pride Nights for a long time. Nobody ever had a problem with it. Some teams had jerseys, some teams didn't, some went rainbow tape, some didn't. Like it was, there was a, it just was a thing that happened and everybody was fine with it. And then you could sort of see like maybe they hadn't sort of figured out the rules. Like do, does every player have to wear one? Um, If they don't wear one, should they play in the game? Should they take the day off? Like there were, there were understandable things when it was happening in real time to sort of say, well, maybe this isn't the right time to, to kind of figure out a league wide policy, but in the off season, why not sort of sit down and go, okay, here's how we want to approach this. Um, We're going to move forward we're going to have these policies in place. Teams can choose to do it, not choose to do it. Players can, can choose to do it, not choose to do it. Um, we're not going to give too much time to the players that don't want to do it. Cause that only leads to, you know, the controversy and then have the, the anti people sort of shoot off a bunch of tweets about woke this and bud like that. And you could have just moved forward and established a policy and said, this is the thing we're comfortable with because th- these initiatives matter to us, whether it's autism awareness or whether it's, you know, hockey fights cancer, or uh, of course, the, in this case, pride nights, you put it forward and you say, this matters to us. And we've had a chance to think about it. And we've, we've decided that this is the proper policy moving forward, going the other direction. I got to say, like, I was kind of shocked to see it happen in a way I wasn't, but also I, I was because it just seemed like such a ridiculously, I'll use the same word Bruce did, it's so cowardly to just go, oh, you know, we, we were upset about these few tweets we got and 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 to, to back completely away from it and say, well, that's it. No jerseys for anything. Um, it's amazing. You know, I, I wrote way back when the idea of imagine if this was about a, a team having a Black Lives Matter patch. Or, and, you know, I sort of hypothetically talked about an indigenous sweater and, and said, imagine if some group of people on the internet got really mad about this and then the 
the league just caved and said, we're not going to have this anymore. Of course they would never do that. And it, it turned out they did. <laughs> so like the, the hypothetical thing I was imagining would never happen to prove a point is in fact, the thing that they ended up doing. So yeah, I was kind of, kind of shocked that they it's ended a up point. caving it's so It's a great point because every Canadian team did an indigenous sweater last year and you mm -hmm. look at them, they're gorgeous. Yeah, right. Cool. And it's and it's something that it, it goes to the core of who we are as a country. And yeah, it's marketing. And yeah, you can say that it's it's the corporation trying to get themselves on the right side of things. But it matters, man. Like that kind of inclusion, that kind of recognition, that kind of acceptance at a high corporate level, a high sporting level matters. And imagine, as, as Scott says, imagine if there was and there is a little bit of a movement to like discredit the residential schools. Um, experience, right? Like there's, there is a movement in Canada that does that, but it's not nearly as loud as this right now. Um, like the anti-LGBTQ stuff at, at school boards and stuff like that is really, really ugly. Um, but imagine if if the there were players who went, I'm not comfortable with, you know, with wearing this indigenous sweater. And there was maybe a, like two or three or four of them. And the league said, well, we're not going to do those sweaters on the players anymore. And and they say like, you can still buy them. You can still, they're still going to have yeah. them designed. They're still going to exist. But we're just going to take them off the ice. We're going to take them off the players because it's distracting from the game. And man, again, it's it, Scott made a great point there. And and Richard actually made a great point on this too. People would have gotten used to that. Yes. Right? People would have gotten used to Ivan Provorov doesn't wear it. Fine. Neither does Alex Ovechkin. Fine. Exactly. Right? Like they would have gotten used to that. And instead, they went when you take the step back, you're choosing a side. That's the, and that's the, maybe the NHL is scared of a Bud Light boycott. Maybe they're scared of being target. Maybe they're scared of like baseball has had this moment recently. It doesn't seem to have affected baseball that the Dodgers in, included like an LGBT group at a game, but like maybe they're scared of a Bud Light boycott and that's a real commercial thing. Well, yeah. ha have some balls, man. The one thing I want to ask John, I'll go to you and you, Bruce and Scott, you can comment. This is, this was the other thing that was my read as well. So much of this decision, John, in my opinion, Gary was focused. He was so U.S. centric on the decision. Right. So it's interesting, like Bruce's take and, the, you know, forgive me, Bruce, if I'm wrong on this. But like I, when I read Bruce's column, one of the things I was thinking is he's really writing from a sort of a Canadian perspective in many ways on how he views this. And I think, by the way, I disagree with it, but I think Gary Bettman is making this decision almost as the commissioner of a U.S.-based sports league, which is just very interesting to me well, now living in Canada because, again, I will go back to, once again, the idea that, like, people would be used to whatever, like, as Scott was mentioning, like, you just, you set up some kind of, it's so stupid to even call it, like, the rules of how this will work, and people would adjust in, like, a nanosecond. Uh, so that's what I saw when I saw I felt like Gary Bettman was the commissioner of the of he was reacting to a lot of a lot of the culture war going on in the United States at the moment, not necessarily Canada. That was one of yeah. my. Here, here, here's my response to that is I understand where that comes from, Richard. There might even be some logic to it. But if that is the case. Then the seven teams in our country better have louder voices at the board of governors do the, the you 17, tell me do they? do they they have loud voices 
they they are influential people they have people there are some some of those owners are on 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 the executive committee but those seven voices alone have to say we stand as canadians then and we will do what we want to do in fact i wonder i wonder now if there is a an owner with the with the fortitude and desire to say you know what I'll pay the million dollar fine or whatever the whatever the issue is. My guys are wearing sweaters on nights that I want. Yeah. Because Wouldn't that's that how be a important. nice surprise. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, would, it would have it would have to be someone my bet is it would have to be someone with a personal connection to the LGBTQ yeah. community, right? Right. You have to but, but like you're not going you're not going to see it from Bell and Rogers, right? Here's the thing. Well, individual owners, it would have to come from an individual owner and not a corporate owner. Um you know, first of all, I think we all have connections to the LGBTQ community. I think, and if we yeah. if we don't think we do, then we're putting our head in the sand. I mean, we, we that's that's part of life, man. And yep. and we have to we have to be accepting of it. So it's it, it's one of those things where it's 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 not going to end. It's you are never. <laughs> I were I worked on a show for thirty years on a Saturday night, and believe it or not, not every viewer liked it. <laughs> what? Not every viewer liked what every announcer said. Uh, so it's 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 one of those things. And by the way, not every announcer liked what I told him too. So uh, which is okay, but that's part of life. You know, disagreement and conflict and discussion and awareness is all part of what we're trying to create here. So I, I just uh, to me, I I was shocked yesterday. And although I I will say when we had Gary on. Uh, a month and a half ago, he hinted that this is exactly what was going to happen. So Again, like I, that's the thing is that surprised. you're shocked, but you're not right because this no, is how right. this is how the NHL does things. Remember, there was a moment where they were on Fox News. Um, it was the hi the hiring uh, thing that the Florida Panthers were doing, where they were saying, "Oh, oh yeah. we, yes. we really want people of color to apply to this." Right. Well, the last time the Canadian team was on Fox News was uh, over the bass issue with the pitching, right? And his his statements about similar right. situations. Well, so. and actually, the Jays is an is going to be an interesting thing in this because, like, the problem with Anthony Bass is he's basically a he's a bog standard replacement level relief pitcher, and he's a bog standard replacement level Republican, right? <laughs> like a just a dummy, a dumb meme sharing dude. And no. baseball has more of those than other sports. So how are the Jays <laughs> in the most MAGA friendly sport going to deal with like guys who come in and want to actually talk about this stuff? It's going to be really interesting, actually. Um, yeah, but, in but in terms of the NHL, like they're terrified of appearing on Fox News. They're terrified of their own shadow. They're terrified of alienating anybody. And so they're nothing to anyone in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right. And it just, well, it just puts the lie to the hockey is everyone is for everyone thing. Like either you kind of go to the wall for it or you don't. And when the Tucker thing happened with that hiring uh, thing in with, with Florida, the NHL yeah. absolutely turtled then too. Well, it's a, it's, it's the topic hopefully that won't go away because we need to continue to create awareness and discussion. And perhaps, perhaps by October, we can change people's minds. Gentlemen, uh, it was a quick hour. Thank you very much. Richard, Bruce, Scott, thanks for the time. The Bob McCowan Podcast, back after this. When was the last time everyone agreed on what's for dinner? You want Chinese food, they want pizza, and someone is always craving Froyo. 
Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with our default contactless delivery setting. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BOBCAST23. That's 25% off, up to $10 in value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BOBCAST23. Don't forget, that's code BOBCAST23 for 25% off of your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Richard, I was hoping to get to one more topic um, with the boys, and that was the Hockey Hall of Fame. But we're going to save that for Monday uh, uh, because we're going to have a Hall of Fame inductee on the show uh, uh, when uh, when you're kind enough to to rejoin us. But uh, I, I just – the one thing – I going back to the NBA draft, I, I, it's one of those things where it actually drives me nuts. And we I joked about it with Paul Jones yesterday is that, you know, a guy gets drafted by – Orlando or, or gets drafted by some other team. And, and before he walks to the stage, he's, he's, he's going to be traded to another team already. And I think there was at least five of those last night. And I, I just wonder, I mean, listen, it happened to the Raptors, the most successful and, and arguably the greatest player in, in Raptor history. Vince Carter was acquired that way. Uh, on a trade on the draft floor by Glenn Gunwald. But I just, I don't know, spoiling the magic to me of what draft day is all about is is that type of thing. Yeah, I agree with you. The one thing, and I don't know this because it's been a long time since I covered any draft live, was the one that I hope the agents at least tell the players that, like, you know, this could happen. And, like, don't, um, you know, if you're the number one overall pick, obviously you're not going to be traded. But you know what I mean, John? Like, you're 18 years old. Someone tells you you're about to be – um, a member of the Portland Trailblazers, and like ten minutes later, you remember the Indiana Pacers. Like that's mentally, that's a that's a lot to deal with. I I, I would suspect that they had been prepped a little bit or I had an so. inclination, but yeah. a lot of things. You know, I read what Woj tells me, and then yeah. as Bruce talked about Chris Haynes and Sharmia, all those guys, they do their job so well. Uh, that they get the information before the players get the information. I, I just think that on a special day like draft day, that's that's kind of disappointing. I will say that both athletes and even in my world in writing about media, many times people find out changes to their lives on Twitter before they find out from like their employer. It's crazy. You mean like golfers? Like golfers, <laughs> great. <laughs> and with the other story we didn't get to talk about was that uh, obviously live in the uh, in the Saudi uh, fund uh, bankrolling golf. Uh, there's now a story coming out of Washington that uh, the Qatari fund is now going to buy into Ted Leonsis's company that owns the Mystics, the Capitals, and the Wizards. So the money's coming, baby. It is. Well, it'll be uh, that'll be a great discussion. We'll have we'll probably get a business person on to talk about that next week. Looking forward to it, Richard. Same here, John. All right, all right. That's uh, the Friday roundtable. Hope you enjoyed it, John Shannon, Richard Deitch. Have a great weekend, folks. Mm-hmm.